let me let me preface this. I ordered my dress online. Mm-hmm. And custom. Custom made. And I was like, okay. I hope this I hope this comes first of all on time. Yeah. I ordered it with plenty of time, obviously, because it's already here. But I was very I was like, oh man, I haven't tried it on. I know what it looks like. I know how it's gonna fit, etc. But I was still worried. Yeah. So I mean online too. Yeah. Yeah. Person. So when I when it the day that it came, I called Danny on my lunch break and went, Hi, are you home? And she goes, Yeah. And I was like, Is my dress? <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, Yeah, it is. So I came home. Uh, I washed my hands because, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, that's what I do. And then immediately whipped my clothes off <laughs> to, <laughs> to try my dress on. Yeah. So I put it on. I made Danny walk with her eyes closed from the living room to our bedroom mm-hmm. to zip my dress up. Mm-hmm. And then I made her go in the bathroom mm-hmm. so that I could go look in the mirror in the other room. Mm-hmm. And then I yelled and said, okay, now go in the bedroom. Don't open your eyes. <laughs> so then she went from the bathroom to the bedroom so that I could go in the bathroom and look at the mirror mm-hmm. and look at, you know, look closer at, you know, in different light and stuff. And then I said, okay, now come out of the bath, come out of the bedroom and go in the living room. So then I left the bathroom and went into the bedroom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then she goes, am I fucking done now? <laughs> I was like, no, I need you to come unzip me, but keep your eyes closed. <laughs> So then she careful, very carefully made her way over to the bedroom door with her eyes closed so she could <laughs> unzip. And then, and then everybody, everybody, Kiana came over later that night after she got off work because mm-hmm. she's a fucking peach and helped me try my dress on and told me how pretty it was. <laughs> she's, Every, it's everything perfect. that I needed. It's a perfect dress. Oh, it's so pretty. You're going lo- to love it. I love it. Because <laughs> you guys are getting married with this episode. Yes. Oh, God. And then I cried. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm a wash rag and I cry about everything. <laughs> um, And yeah, Kiana was the first person to see me in my yeah. wedding dress. I'm honored. Oh. I helped so. her put it on. I'm bad with zippers. It took a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but we got it on her. It's true. She's like, it's so tiny. I can't, I can't get it. And I'm clammy because I was nervous. I was like, it's her wedding dress. <laughs> <laughs> so I like couldn't grip it. Oh gosh. But it's perfect. It's, uh, it's it so, looks so good. Like the fit is great. Poofy. It's and perfect. Oh, and it's got lace on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's beautiful. The anyway. Box. Oh, yes. The, the little sweetheart cut on top. Mm-hmm. It's gorgeous. Hello, everyone. Oh, <laughs> hi. This is that Broad Scout Moxie. It sure is. I'm Kiana. I'm Cassie. It, when this when this comes out, it mm-hmm. is May 1st. Sure is. May Day. May Day, which means Cassie and Danny are in Scotland now. Mm-hmm. Last week, we were in London. Mm-hmm. This week, we're in Scotland. Currently, we are on the Isle of Skye. Yeah. We are, we're saying our vows, and it's going to be beautiful. <laughs> Yay! How exciting. <laughs> oh, man. I told Danny months ago, mm-hmm. I was like, I just want you to know that most of my wedding vows are going to be ABBA lyrics. <laughs> Danny, you're a super trooper. She's a super trooper. <laughs> Danny, I do, I do, I do, I do. 
Ooh. <laughs> honey, honey. <laughs> oh, it's gonna yeah. Oh. It's cute. I'm I can't. So excited for you guys. It's gonna be good. It's gross. It makes me so happy. And <laughs> it's gross. It makes me so happy. <laughs> and so and Peaches my my bestie boo, Peaches, mm-hmm. aka John. Mm-hmm. And the lovely sparkly Colleen mm-hmm. will be with us to do the damn thing. Do the damn and thing. And then we're going to get drunk on whiskey. <laughs> it's going to be a good time. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's going to be so, yeah. so exciting. <sighs> I can't wait. So, yeah. Welcome, everyone. Yes, um, welcome. I could just sit and talk about my wedding all day, yeah. but <laughs> let's just sit. nobody else is getting married that day that I know. So, <laughs> yeah, and you if know. you are, who cares about you? Get your own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this is no longer that broad's got moxie, and it's just Cassie talks about her wedding. <laughs> um. Okay, so it's still Saturday morning. Yep, we're recording. Mm-hmm. Kiana has had more of her coffee. Got my shoulders moving. She's there. doing a little shimmy. <laughs> a little shimmy it's across too bad the you room. guys can't see it. <laughs> it's real solid. <laughs> uh, who goes first today? Me. You. Me. Yeah. This is, what episode is this? Episode Four- thir- 13 or 14? 13. 13. 13. Yep. Ooh, lucky number 13. That's exciting. All yeah. right. We've done a lot of these episodes. Oh my gosh, we have. And we're recording, guys, we're recording really far into the future. Mm-hmm. We're, we're astral projecting ourselves. <laughs> today. Uh, because is, yeah, it's basically. the 23rd today in our, in our time. I thought you were going to say October and I was like, well, um, no, it's not. No, it's not. March. March. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so April's a real hectic month for everybody yeah. so we were like all right let's do this let's squeeze them in so yeah. we're only gonna have one recording month uh one recording day one recording day in april yeah so because these are all being these the past episodes have all been pre-recorded and are yeah. scattered yeah <laughs> throughout Ooh. all right tell me who you're talking about okay so this between this wednesday and next wednesday and this is coming out mm-hmm Ramadan is beginning. Yes. Which is the holiest month in the Muslim lunar calendar. Beautiful. And 1.8 billion people are going to be celebrating it. From wow. Sun up to sun, uh, from fasting sun up to sundown. And so to our Muslim listeners, Ramadan Mubarak, which is just oh. happy Ramadan. And in honor of it, I am going to be doing Khadija bint uh, Kualid, who was Muhammad the Prophet's wife. Oh. <gasps> Really? Yes. Oh, this is exciting. This is, admittedly, I know nothing about this. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is, I'm really excited. It's, she's great. She's absolutely fantastic. Oh, and good. Because mine's a little bit of a bummer today. <laughs> oh. <good. laughs> so you're going to bring us up and then I'm going to bring Just us right, right back down. Back down. <laughs> Perfect. So my sources are... I'm going to preface this. I have a bunch of stuff that I want to say before I actually get into Tell the story. Me. Okay. So sources, islamswoman.com, Wikipedia, and the encyclopedia. So maybe I don't have a lot of sources. <laughs> so I'm not Muslim, but when you say the prophet or Muhammad or his name, mm-hmm. typically 
you say peace and blessings be upon him after you say his name. Okay. As a form of praise, hadith uh-huh. is what they okay. believe they call it. I will not be doing that. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, no, I, I looked into if I should say it or not. Mm-hmm. And I came to the conclusion that I don't because okay. I'm not Muslim. But gotcha. if it's something that in the future, if I do another woman connected to Muhammad that I should say, please let me know. Yes. In addition, Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, uh, Khadija is may Allah be pleased with her, is what her little post, okay. mm-hmm. postscript. postscript is. Um, I will not be saying that either for the same reasons, but again, in the future, if I should, just let me know. Mm-hmm. My primary source sources after researching and everything are Sunni. So there's the Sunni and yes, she is. So I will be including the ideas that she was previously married prior to marrying Muhammad. And I will include um, the idea that she has more than one child. Um, okay. But I am aware that and listeners that should be aware. there are other. That there are. Ideas. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And also for the sake of time and being concise, I will not be going into the details of Muhammad's life, which led him to become the prophet. Gotcha. But Khadijah was with him along at this time, so I'm going to, like, briefly mention it. Mm -hmm. And if you're interested in it, go do... I encourage you to do research yourself, because there's a lot of, in today's society, misconceptions about uh, Islam. Yes. And so, go forth and be curious and study it yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those Perfect. Are all my, those are all my pre-remarks. Okay. And I will now talk about Khadija. So she was born in Makkah in f- the year 556 CE to her parents Fatima and Kualayid bin Asad. Her father was a successful merchant and leader in the Quraysh tribe. And, af- um, and then he died. Mm-hmm. And after his death in the Battle of Fajar... Khadijah, Mary, uh, Khadijah inherited his business. Oh, okay. Which traded goods through the primary commerce centers at the time, which included Mecca, Syria, and Yemen. So this is in the um, Arabian Peninsula. Okay. Her policy when she took over was to employ hardworking, honest, and distinguished managers to deal on her behalf. And a lot of her business depended on the integrity of the employees who traveled far and wide on her behalf. And she hired only the most trust trustworthy men to go throughout these often dan- go throughout these often dangerous trade routes, and became the most acclaimed business person in the area. Wow! Because she was a very good judge of character. Dang! Yeah, Her that's six- incredible for a woman. I mean, yeah. of, at for the time. a woman. <laughs> <laughs> Damn! I mean, she did pretty good for a woman. <laughs> She's. She will learn. She's, I didn't realize this about her, but she's mm-hmm. actually, like, super acclaimed, like, in her own right. Oh. So her success and her commitment to modesty and integrity earned her the monikers Princess of Koresh and the Pure One. Oh, wow. Pure One. Pure. Not Pure One. Not Pure One. We're not buying not furniture. <laughs> she was the Pure One. Pure. Okay. Um, her reputation and a promise to only sell high-quality goods led her to having a business larger than all of the Koresh trades combined. Goodness gracious. She was a mogul. Yes, she was. Um, Watch f- out, Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this feat was especially great because at this point in society, through, as throughout much of 
the rest of the world. In this sector of work, it was male-dominated and very dangerous. Mm. She did not travel with the caravans that did the trading throughout the area. Uh, Instead, she stayed close to her tribe and married a man named Abu Hala Malik bin Nabish bin Sarah bin Atamani. That was solid. That you, you, I practiced. You <laughs> there was a little. You stumbled a little bit, but yeah. that was real solid. Way to go. I, I tried to practice, and um, I knew this one would be difficult because there's a lot of yep. a- a- add-ons. <laughs> <laughs> Together, they had two children named Hala and Hind. Uh, she wanted her husband to also be independently wealthy outside of her wealth. Hmm. And so she began to finance his business. But before he could attain any sorts of riches, he passed away, leaving her a widow with two kids. And the reason he died is unknown. I, could, I couldn't find it. It might mm-hmm. it probably is out there. After his death, she remained single for a little while before remarrying to a man named Atik bin Atab bin Abdullah al-Maksumi. Uh, oh boy, that's a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> Together, they had a daughter named Hinda before this marriage ended. Okay. In one article that I read, it said it was due to incompatibility that they split, mm-hmm. which was which means they got a divorce. Mm-hmm. But in another one, it was in the uh, the rest of them actually, it was death. <laughs> oh, okay. So he either died or they just didn't get along and got divorced. Yeah. Okay. So we'll assume that he died, and that she became a widow once again, now with three kids. Oof. Two, two from her first husband and one from mm-hmm. her second one. Okay, so being the most successful woman around and her reputation of just being an overall trustworthy and good person made her highly desirable to her, to male suitors in the area, and she was proposed to a lot. <laughs> Every day. Left and like, right. <laughs> she was like, no, I'm not going to get away from me. Get out of here. I already told you no last week. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Oh, boy. Her good judge of character and her apprehension of having another marriage and a heartbreak left her weary. And so she was like, you know what? None of these people come into me with marriage proposals are worth it. I'm just, I'm independently wealthy. I don't need a man to support me. Mm. I'm going to be. Amen, girl. So she spent her time now upbringing her children, taking care of her family, which I think her sister moved into with her. And she also helped raise her kids and taking care of her business. Dang. She was, she was... She's a bala. She's a bala. She's a bala. In 595, Khadijah found herself needing to hire a new agent to trade in slash with Syria. Uh, she heard of a young man named Muhammad Ibn Abdullah, whose prior experience with his uncle's family business had earned him the titles of the truthful and the trustworthy. Oh. And so she was like, with those titles, you sound pretty nice. Right? <laughs> Sounds like you're on the up and up. Yeah. Let's, and so uh, Let's meet. Yeah. So she offered him a job. And with the permission of his uncle, who he had been working with prior to, he accepted the job. And alongside of one of Khadijah's trusted slaves, they traveled to Syria together. Upon returning, the uh, servant had given accounts of the honorable way that Muhammad had conducted his business, with the result that he brought back twice as much profit that they had expected. Wow. Um, she also told her of an event that led a Jewish monk to prophesize that he would one day become a prophet, which I told, I'm not going to get into. Uh-huh. But overall, the servant had been deeply impressed with him. And so Khadijah was like, 
I trust this person yeah. and I trust I trust everything that's gone on. I'm also deeply impressed by this man and I wonder if we should get married because he seems like marriage material. Absolutely. I'm getting a lot of positive feedback. Mhm. I'm feeling I'm feeling like this is a good relationship. Mhm. Maybe we should uh, take this past yes. past business associates. Yep. Sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Is that inappropriate? I'm sorry if it is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll just move past okay. that. I don't, I don't Moving know. Moving on. So one night, she had a dream that the sun had descended from the sky to her yard. The sun then shined brightly, emitting light from within the house, her house. This led her to go to a cousin, who was a dream interpreter. Mm. And he told her that the dream meant that the prophet, or a prophet, who had been predicted in the Torah... And in the Injil, which I do not know what that is, mm-hmm. was to grace her home and she would gain from his presence in her life. Oh. So after this dream interpretation, her desire to marry Muhammad grew. Yeah. And so she sent a friend. To... <laughs> What's coming up is just sort of like, I wanted to have fun with myself. So, <laughs> so she said, sent... like, let's get creative, shall we? <laughs> right. So she sent a friend to go talk to him. And this friend had went to Muhammad and asked him why he had not yet married, to which he responded that he didn't have the financial resources to support a wife. But then she was like, well, I know this lady. And she's like super respected and trustworthy. And she also has hella cash. She doesn't (laughs) need you to provide for her. And through the grapevine, I heard Mm -hmm. that she's super down to marry you. And then he was like, oh, this sounds, like, too good to be true. Who is it? Right. And he was like, oh, it's Khadijah? That's super rad. I'll totally ask to marry her, but, like, only if she's down to clown. <laughs> and her friend was like, oh, she's down to clown. Oh, my gosh. Remember when I said I heard it through the grapevine? I lied. I heard it from her. She's literally asking you to marry her. And he was like, oh, word? I'll formally ask her then. <laughs> and he did. Was Kiana's hip hop <laughs> As last episode, but you know, um, no, no, that's verbatim. Like, yeah, the conversation that I, happened. I imagine Muhammad was the first person to say a word, a word, <laughs> <laughs> and down to clown. Yeah, I don't think those words have ever come out of my mouth. <laughs> but mm-hmm. boom, mm-hmm. you heard it here first. So she had through. Through this interaction, she had technically asked him to marry her, mm-hmm. which is unheard big, of. Unheard of. Big news. But then he did the formal uh-huh. asking through the families and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so when she was 40 and he was 25. Oh, get it, girl. They got married. Nice. Yeah. 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 Um, while married, Khadijah had six children with Bahamut. Oh. Probably. Remember? Because oh, she yeah, is probably. Okay. Like six more? Yes. Oh. Yes. Girl. Yeah. <laughs> Their first nun... Nun? Their first nun. <laughs> right? Their first son was Kazim. I didn't look up how to say that name. Their first son died before his second birthday. Mm-hmm. And then they had daughters... Uh, they had four daughters that were born. <laughs> didn't look up how to say the kids' names. I'm so sorry. <laughs> So, and then they had another son who was born after Muhammad was declared a prophet 
And so it was kind of understood that he would be the next in line as mm-hmm. the male, as a male prophet, but he also died in childhood. Oh, goodness. Which, if, I'm not going to get into it. <laughs> it's, it might There's be There's a long. lot of history that goes along with yeah. all of this. And the idea of a successor is sort of where the Sunnis and Shias split. Oh, okay. Of who is the rightful, yeah. Who, who's, who will come next. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. It's, it's very interesting to learn about and i i it's i highly suggest people yeah look, look into it. it so they had six children while they were married they remained happy however muhammad felt that something was missing and he was restless and with his life but khadijah understood and supported him because she knew of what was to come in muhammad's life and financially and emotionally supported him as i said which allowed him the time to meditate and dedicate himself entirely to prayer wow he would retire to the cave of hira once a year and it was there that the first revelation of the quran was revealed to him by some kind of like being Mm -hmm. when he returned home so like he he had the revelation was like oh what happened ran home from the cave Mm-hmm. And when he returned, he had told her about the incident and said that he had feared for his life and was, like, shaking and sweating and, like, what what's happening? Uh-huh. But in contrast to his, like, panic or shock, yeah, essentially, yeah. Khadijah was super serene and consoled him and reassured him of the authenticity of his message. Oh, wow. She's thus often considered the first person to have believed in Muhammad's message, making her the first Muslim. That's so cool. Yeah. It's it's super it's super interesting and it's not something that we hear a lot and I think that's Yeah, cool. this is not some especially in the western in like America that we hear. A lot. Yeah, especially in America that's not unless this is something that you're, you know, unless you're Muslim and that's how you're raised and mm-hmm. it's already part of your culture. Mm-hmm. People don't know this. Mm-hmm. That's this is really cool. Okay, yeah. continue. And so after She's the first person to believe his message, and after she consulted a relative, the relative likened Muhammad's revelations to those of Moses, further providing Muhammad the confidence in his revelations. Absolutely. Kadisha was the first person on earth to accept Muhammad as the final prophet of God and accepted his revelations that culminated into the Holy Quran. This made her the first Muslim, which I just said, mm-hmm. and she's often referred to as the mother of Islam. Wow. Yeah. And I don't know if I said this earlier. Islam is the religion. Muslim is the person who follows Islam. Oh. Some people don't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Wait, say it again. Islam is the the religion. The religion, yes. And um, a Muslim person is the follower of Islam. Okay. I got you. Yeah. So in, like, Christianity, Christian. Yes. Gotcha. That, that kind okay. of thing. She was greeted with peace by God himself, as well as the angel Gabriel. So she had sort of reached this sense of like holy commitment and mm-hmm. not the same way that Muhammad did because he was the prophet mm-hmm. but in in a way that was valuable so her worldly goods no longer meant much to her mm-hmm. when she received peace and she became a dedicated follower and supporter of the prophet uh, she always helped him in his work proclaiming his message and belittling opposition to it mm-hmm. It was her encouragement that helped Muhammad believe in his mission and spread Islam throughout the Arabian Peninsula and throughout most of the world. And a big part of her support was 
emotional, but also in the larger sense, her financial means to Mm -hmm. support the Muslims meant a lot. And so she became like a big philanthropist. Yeah. In the the name of... In the name of Muhammad. Muhammad. Allah. In the name of Allah. Oh, God. Oh, Um, okay. Khadijah gave her earnings to the poor and to the orphans and to the widows and the sick in the area. Uh, She helped poor girls get married and provided their dowry. Mm. And when polytheistic... (laughs) (laughs) Solid. (laughs) When polytheists and aristocrats of the Koresh tribe harassed the Muslims, she used her money to buy Muslim slaves and feed the Muslim community. That's so pretty. I mean, that's beautiful. That's so pretty. That's, that's beautiful. <laughs> In 616, the Quresh tribe declared a trade boycott against the uh, Hashim clan, true Muslims, mm-hmm. and they attacked, imprisoned, and beat the Muslims, who sometimes went for days without food or drink. Oh, gosh. Khadijah continued to maintain the community, even though now she was also experiencing economic hardships until the boycott was lifted in the late 619. So she she was giving so much that she no longer was the wealthy yeah, woman yeah. that she had once been. Because that's, that's how big of a philanthropist she was. Like, really, right, she wasn't like, I have so much and I'm going to give a ton of it away. Yeah. She was like, no, I'm literally just going to give everything that I have. Yeah. Because this is, like, this is... Blown away. The right thing to do. Yeah. Because she was like, I believe in this message. Mm-hmm. Overall, she was just a very giving, courageous, and loyal woman that was highly respected for believing in her family and herself. It is believed that Khadijah's nobility of character and conduct pleased Allah so much that he spent he sent special greetings for her after she died. Oh. Yeah. Her home became the center of Islam because she had opened it for all of the community mm-hmm. to come and visit and pray and discuss things and thus the site of the house of khadijah became a place of prayer and worship for all time and it was converted into a mosque oh wow i had i was going to check if it was still standing okay but i did not gotcha so but we can look into it we can look into it so she had been used to praying the the two morning and evening prayers that muslim people often are encouraged to do Mm mm-hmm even before the prayers were compulsory. Oh. She was like, I'm just going to do this because Muhammad's doing The prophet's yeah, doing yeah. it. And then it became the, the one thing. Of the, one of the pillars of Islam. So now we're at her death. Khadijah died in Ramadan uh, of the year 10 after the prophethood. So it's just 10 years after Muhammad Oh, was okay. Born. I was like, wait, we went from 619 to 10. <laughs> Okay. No, you understand now. Uh, you're ten of the prophethood. Of the prophethood. In either April or May in 620 CE. Oh. Yes. Muhammad later called this tenth year the year of sorrow, as his uncle also died. Khadijah is said to have been about 65 years old when she died. Oh. She was with him. She got married when they were 40, so. 25 years. Yeah. Solid marriage. Yeah. Wow. How'd she die? Uh, just natural causes. Oh, okay. Just old age. Yeah. Her death affected the prophet greatly, and he never stopped talking about her in the highest of praise. He also remarked her as one of the four greatest women of mankind, which included Khadijah, Fatima, bin Muhammad, which is his youngest daughter, mm-hmm. who becomes important when we talk about 
lineage. And oh, okay. Mary bent Emron, which is the Virgin Mary, and the wife of a pharaoh, whose name is Asiya bent Musahim. Musahim. Wow. Yeah. To a later wife who had once sort of, she was jealous of the praise that Muhammad had uh-huh. for Khadijah, mm-hmm. had sort of disparaged her, and Muhammad was like, mm, don't do that. And I'm going to end with a quote. He once said, I have not yet found a better wife than her. She had faith in me when everyone, even members of my own family and tribe, did not believe me and accepted that I was truly a prophet and a messenger of Allah. She converted to Islam, spent all her wealth and worldly goods to help me spread this faith, and this too at a time when the entire world seemed to have turned against me and persecuted me. And it is through her that Allah blessed me with children. When they, it's common practice, it was common practice at Mm -hmm. the time to take on multiple wives. Yeah. It, like, everywhere. Mm -hmm. But while Muhammad was with Khadijah, he didn't take on any other wives. Oh. He, he, they were a monogamous relationship until her death. Well, not until her death. And then she died, and then he took on mm-hmm. multiple wives. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. I was, like, I was just transfixed when you were <laughs> reading that, because I was like, I don't know any of this. And that is fascinating. Mm-hmm. I would never have guessed that Khadijah had such, mm-hmm. played such a huge role in Islam. Yeah. That's blows my mind i just think it's i think it's sort of fed to us Mm -hmm. in terms of like media and stuff that like muslim women don't have a lot of rights or say Mm -hmm. because the the religion is quote-unquote oppressive Mm -hmm. and so the the idea that the founding of it is highly supported by a woman mm-hmm. would sort of counteract that message. Yeah. So I think that's why we we as Americans don't really hear about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Because it feeds into it feeds into this this notion that we already have of Islam. And it's mm-hmm. like why you know, why would we tell you that in fact Islam was built mm-hmm. on on the shoulders of of a woman and her undying support. Mm-hmm. And like I I encourage people to look into like to look into Islam and like what it what has happened and stuff because Muslim women had the were the first like religious group to allow ladies to initiate divorce and like this idea that Islam, you know, is touted as this like oppressive, you know, women don't have any any choice. any choice or any rights. Mm-hmm. Like, well, the that's that's how it's that's how it's you know put out there in the world mm-hmm. but what religion has not done that mm-hmm. like the jewish faith and christians like, history is all written by men and it's all mm-hmm. you know like danny calls it religion with a capital r mm-hmm. <laughs> is you know is oftentimes the problem because it they're the ones who are who are creating this oppression, uh-huh. um, and not, not the, not the faith itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. People, I mean, people choose to practice their faith in the way that they mm-hmm. deem 
appropriate for themselves and oftentimes uh religion has been weaponized Mm -hmm. in a way that's yeah oppressive when it's not it's most religions at its core at its core are based out of like love and faith and worship Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and it's it's the 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 institute yeah of of that particular religion Mm -hmm. and and who you know who enforces it quote unquote Mm mm-hmm yeah. yeah, yeah. Translation through time and mm-hmm. but solid. Yeah. Thank you for that. That was so good. Mm-hmm. And again, Ramadan Mubarak. Ramadan Mubarak. Mm-hmm. Ramadan Mubarak. Yes. Hopefully, I did that. Uh, oh, we justice. hope we did that well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was. I'm. I am absolutely impressed. Um, Thank you. And that welcome. was that was also a request from Zeth. Oh. Lovely. One of our first requests. Mine actually is a request as well. What um, is that? Well, uh, let me tell you. So, first of all, I got this request from Jim. Okay. At work. Mm-hmm. Jim loves us. <laughs> he thinks. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Jim. Does Jim know who I am? Or am I still a ghost in the office? Yeah, I think Ooh. he knows. I've, I've explained, <laughs> like, no, Kiana, she sits over there. She comes in in the afternoon. And he was like, Oh, okay. He's like, I've never <laughs> talked to her. <laughs> For everybody, if nobody knows this. Most people don't know this. Kiana works part-time. Mm-hmm. It's technically part-time, right? Yeah. Yeah. At, at the same, at the, at the lab that I work at. Mm-hmm. But she comes in in the very late afternoon where almost everybody... Everybody's gone. Everybody's gone or is getting ready to leave. Yeah. <laughs> so there are a substantial number of people who are like, who's this you do your podcast with? <laughs> she works here. <laughs> like, yeah. Anyway. I spend a lot of time in that whole lab alone. Yeah. Because Because there's the divider and, like, Vinny's on the other side and I know he's there. Right. But, but then... he's in the farthest corner opposite of you. Yeah. And then so, like... After everybody goes home, I kind of just dance around. Yep. When yeah. I did that position, <laughs> that's exactly what I did. Yeah. I'm like, we've got to go to the sandblaster. Look at the shoulders. <laughs> Getting into it. A lot of movement. Yeah. Yeah. So, Jim, who is, who is a big fan, he thinks we're great. Thank you, Jim. Gave me this suggestion. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Because he actually, he wrote it on a post-it. Oh. And said, next time, email us. Right? Just kidding. <laughs> Jim, what the hell? We've only been saying it for how many episodes now? I'm just kidding. So I got a post-it note at work on, on my desk that said something about, you should look into James Tiptree Jr. And I read it and I was like, does Jim not understand the premise? <laughs> Of this podcast? Why? So I googled it, and James Tiptree Jr. is is a famous science fiction author, mm-hmm. but his real name is Alice B. Sheldon. Oh. So I was so like... it's a pen name. It is a pen name. Okay. Um, there's no such person as, as James Tiptree Jr., but um, Alice Bradley Sheldon is a real person and she's got a hell of a story. How exciting. Yeah. So I I started doing research and I was like, this is this is bananas. <laughs> <laughs> 
so yeah. Oh, but you said it was a downer. It's a bit of a downer, but it's still really interesting. Mm-hmm. And also, I listened. I've I tried to listen to a couple different books. Unfortunately, I could mostly just find ebooks. Mm-hmm. But the one that I listened to is called Houston. Houston, do you read? Mm-hmm. And I listened to it on like YouTube. I think okay. it was called Sci-Fi Radio. So it was produced like uh, like an old-timey radio show. Oh. Which was really fun. There's like a Foley artist in the background, mm-hmm. you know, and it's set in space. And it's really interesting. I really encourage, if you don't listen to any of them or read any of them, if you listen to Houston, Houston, Houston do you read? It's, yeah, it's really good. So... Tell me okay. about her. <clears throat> I'll tell you about her. Okay. So, Alice Hastings Bradley was born on August 24th, 1915, in Chicago, Illinois, to a wealthy, talented, a wealthy, to wealthy, talented, <laughs> and eccentric parents. Her father, Herbert, was a Yuck. lawyer. <laughs> Hate the name Herbert. That's what Danny calls me. <laughs> she calls you Herbert. Yeah. So we had I don't know how it happened, but we have cute nicknames for each other, mm-hmm. and so I call her Merv mm-hmm. for Mervin, and she calls me Herbs. Okay, but that's just short for Herbert. Okay, that's but you've never called her like Herbert in front of me, have you? I don't think yeah. so. It'll probably happen at some point, but <laughs> yeah. So like when I leave her notes, sometimes I'll leave her notes like written on the bathroom yeah. mirror. It'll say love herbs. <laughs> <laughs> That's just, we're cute. I can't help it. Sorry about it, guys. Okay. Her father, Herbert, was a lawyer, naturalist, and part of the Hyde Park elite. Hyde Park is just uh, this real bougie neighborhood um, yeah. in the university district. Her mother, Mary Hastings, was a socialite and a writer of detective stories and travel books. Oh. So, like I said, real wealthy. Mm-hmm. A little... They're oddballs. They're real I oddballs. I love eccentric rich people. As long as they're not racist. <laughs> well, you know. Oh, no. <laughs> um, so, her mom was very progressive Mm-hmm. And was very concerned about human and animal suffering. Okay. So that kind of kicked off world traveling, basically. So Alice traveled with her parents to the Belgian Congo, uh, which is in Africa. Yeah. Uh, despite the protests of horrified friends. And this this all happened at the age of six. So her parents were convinced that they were doing Alice a favor by showing her the last unspoiled place on earth. I'm not <laughs> I mean, so basically they went to the Congo. They were going to they were going to go to these beautiful forests where mountain gorillas live. Mm-hmm. When I think of the Congo, there's mm-hmm. um been a lot of conflict. Not great with in not great yeah. history. And so <laughs> and in it the 1920s, mm-hmm. also not great because it was Run yeah. by Belgian Belgians. Congo. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, but, we'll get there. Yeah. Okay. Not a great place, but it was very beautiful. They went to go see, study mountain gorillas. And also her father and a friend of his were like naturalists, but also that means like they were big game hunters. Yeah. Yeah. Not great. You're going to hunt, hunt to, hunt to feed yourself. That's right. 
So that was their first trip. Their second trip, she was eight. And when they went for this, for this second time, which was part of this big, again, world tour, mm-hmm. she saw natives that had been crucified on, on like, wooden posts. Yeah. Not great. It's, yeah. It scarred her for life. Uh, yeah. And then at 15, she went on their last visit... And basic, she was she was helping her mother in this like clinic, helping to treat natives and stuff. Mm-hmm. However, her her and her family were nearly left to die in the desert by the Belgian Congo officials mm-hmm. uh, because she believed that they knew too much about Belgian prison camps. Yeah, for for the natives. Yeah. So lots of conflict. Yeah. It's not great, yeah. but it, like I said, scarred her for life between as such a young child coming into contact with such horror and like inhumane treatment mm-hmm. and death and suffering is not, is not good. Yeah. So Alice appeared to relish some of these adventures. Like she did have some good times, but overwhelmingly, um, they affected her in a much more profound and negative way. Mm-hmm. Uh, between trips to Africa, Alice attended school in Chicago, including an, an experimental teaching workshop at the University of Chicago. So she went to normal school, but then also went and did these, like, real loosey-goosey classes where it was all about, you know, kind of exploring your brain power. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so when she was 14, she was sent to a finishing school in Switzerland. And it said that while she was there, she would often walk along railroad tracks, hoping a train would hit her. Oh, baby. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's really, yeah. it's sad. Her experiences in Africa had left her with, quote, a case of horror vitae. Horror vitae is like being consumed by, you know. Um, so like survivor's guilt? Yes, kind of. And just almost like a morbid fascination with mm-hmm. with death and kind of having a really bleak yeah. outlook on things. Danny like, just brought up, it was a little bit like like Roberta in Now and Then. Mm-hmm. And uh, who pretends to die all the time uh, because she had experienced death at such a young age. Or Lydia in Beetlejuice, who mm-hmm. also had experienced, you yeah. know, the passing of her mother. Anyway, so yeah, it's just, it's bleak. She has seen some shit. Mm-hmm. And she was much more, quote, grown up mm-hmm. than the rest of her peers. And that made it really difficult to connect to other children her age and have friends and kind of have that normal growing up experience yeah. because she was like, oh, I'm, I'm beyond this. Trauma is. Trauma does a lot of damage. Yeah. Throughout. And like. Your whole life. <laughs> and just imagine, like, the kids who grow up in the Congo who can't leave. Yeah. And, like, yeah. It's 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 upsetting. And then, not to mention that her mother was trying to overcompensate for the way that she had raised Alice. Mm-hmm. And expected her to conform to the strictest standards of femininity. So her mom felt bad about scarring her daughter for life and taking her mm-hmm. on these really upsetting things. Yeah. And instead was like, well, let's make you really pretty and dainty. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 
All that good stuff. Mask the... Mask it, yes. Yeah. Cover up the pain. Be happy and pretty and peppy so that you can get married. But the damage was already done. Mm-hmm. Alice grew up brilliant and miserable. She had the looks of a movie star and the mind of a genius, but she suffered from bipolar depression and believed the world and herself were doomed to tragedy. Yeah. Not great. Uh, She was groomed as a society beauty by her mother, and, you know, she was supposed to follow in her mother's footsteps. Mm -hmm. Instead, in 1934, at the age of 19... She chose the night of her debutante party to elope with rich Princeton playboy Bill Davy. Oh. She had only known Bill <laughs> for five days. Mm. Sounds mm. like love. <laughs> Sounds like love. It really, they just really hit it off. And yeah. she went, you know what? Let's get out of here. <laughs> Let's go get married. So... Up until then, she had been... This is just a little boop side note. Up until then, she had been attending Sarah Lawrence College, mm-hmm. but had to, drop out, had to drop out because the school did not allow married students. That's none of your fucking business. That's right. School. It's none of your fucking business. <laughs> but they were like, oh, you're married now? Sorry. Bye. What? What logic? <laughs> <laughs> You're married. You're focusing on children. We don't want you here because clearly you don't care about... Man, I'm so lucky to live in the modern days. Oh, praise. Because, like, even though it's bad, if somebody was like, you can't do this because you're married, I'd karate chop them in the throat. <laughs> like, what the fuck you saying? <laughs> right? This is... No, thank you. <sighs> yeah. So the newlyweds moved to Berkeley, California... And started their life together, but their marital bliss did not last. Oh, surprise! surprise. <laughs> uh, they started out so strong. I, nobody could have believed that it would end badly. So Bill was an alcoholic and really bad with money. Mm. And Alice did not want to be a homemaker. So they got divorced in 1940. Also, I would just like, <laughs> when I was typing this, I wrote, um, she didn't want to be a homo maker. And it made me laugh really hard. <laughs> I was like, that's weird. My mom didn't want to be a homo maker either. <laughs> Inappropriate. Divorced in 1940. She moved back to Chicago and then worked as an art critic for the Chicago Sun. All the while she was doing, she was painting mm-hmm. and was an illustrator. And I mean, she's got, she has stuff in museums, okay. but I didn't delve too far into that part of her life mm-hmm. because she really is more, I mean, she's known As way more author. for her, for her writing. Okay. So then World War II began. Alice joined the Women's Army Auxiliary Corps. And became a supply officer. Oh. And then later worked for the U.S. Army Air Forces in photo intelligence. She was promoted to major, which was a really high rank at the time. Yeah. And then worked at the Pentagon as an expert interpreter of aerial reconnaissance photos. Dang. Yeah. But again, she's looking at photos, figuring, you know, figuring yeah. out what's where. 
is deep into World War Two mm-hmm. atrocities. Yeah, on top of the just, we're just adding shit on the pile of stuff that's already bumming her out. Yeah, to put it lightly. <laughs> War, the ultimate bummer. The ultimate bummer. <laughs> so in 1945, at the close of the war, Alice married her commander office- officer, Colonel Huntington Sheldon. He went by Ting, um, <laughs> which I thought was cute. He was a decade older and was also previ- like divorced. They left the army in 1946 and ran a chicken farm in New Jersey. Nice. And that same year, her first story called The Lucky Ones was published in an issue of The New Yorker under the name Alice Bradley. This is the first time any of her work's ever been published. Alice and Ting's relationship was pretty good, despite it being sexually unsatisfying. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, that's a big bummer. (laughs) And children were not... Up there with war. (laughs) God. I sound so crass. Um, guys, in, in the hierarchy of bummers, being sexually unsatisfied sits very close to the bottom. No. With war no. and devastation being at the tippity top. Oh, wait. Okay. I thought you meant yeah. the bottom as in, like, right there with war. Oh, and no, I was like, I'm- no! We shouldn't! We shouldn't joke like that. You are making me sound so much worse than I actually am. I'm just War under- is the no. fucking worst thing ever. I'm not making you sound worse than you are. I'm understanding you as worse than you are. <laughs> oh, thank you for that. <laughs> oh, for Pete's sake. My B. That's all I can say. God. My B. Your B. <laughs> Drink your coffee. It's gone. Oh. That's a sad... Oh, that's why the shoulders are going. (laughs) Oh, where am I? Okay. Sexually unsatisfied. (laughs) Bummer. (laughs) And children were not going to be possible. Alice wanted to have a baby, but had been sterilized by a botched abortion in the early early 30s. Yeah. Why we should make abortions available for everybody. Yeah, safe and available, and because people are gonna get abortions regardless. Regardless, and so I'd let's make it be sure. a doctor than a wire hanger. Amen. Mm. Amen. Donate to Planned Parenthood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Vote. Vote, please. Vote mm. smart. In 1952, Alice and Ting were invited to work for the CIA. So. <laughs> So, you keep saying ting. <laughs> and I listened to grime music. I gave you a brief glimpse of it, the JME. Yes. And it's British. Mm-hmm. And in the slang of it, mm-hmm. instead of saying thing, they oh, say ting. ting. Mm-hmm. And there's a specific song that I'm thinking of where he goes, Prosperation ting. <laughs> <laughs> when he talked about sweating. <laughs> And that's all I can think about. I don't even think it's a real song. I think it's a, I think it's a joke, grime song. Let's but hope so. Do you know? Do you know the video that I'm talking about? No. The the thing goes scrap. Yes. Pop pop. Yeah. Boom boom. boom. 
Yes, I do. She said, take off the jacket. I say, men's not hot. Perspiration ting. Canna's having a stroke. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Just that's where my mind goes. It's fine. Continue. Okay. I can call him hunting ting. (laughs) (laughs) Shooting ducks. Hunting ting. (laughs) We're going to drop British rhymes on your asses here. I'm a grime artist. Oh, gosh. Anyway, where was I? (laughs) Alice and Ting were invited to work for the CIA. Once again, she worked in photo intelligence. Yeah, the CIA. Right after it opened. Like, right after the CIA became a thing, Mm -hmm. they were like, hey, you want to work for us? And they were like, yeah, sure. So once again, she worked in photo intelligence. She was basically a spy. Mm -hmm. Like Julia Child. Mm. Hmm. But she was over it pretty quick. Uh, She was bored, needed some time to kind of figure herself out. Mm -hmm. So she separated from Ting for a year and returned to college. She received her BA at the American University and then her doctorate from George Washington University Mm. in experimental psychology. That's cool. Mm -hmm. I believe George Washington University is a sister school slash brother school of Richmond school that I went to. Oh, really? I could be wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Don't fact check I believe you. So while working on her dissertation, Alice took some time to write some silly science fiction stories. And she was like, oh, well, these are pretty good. Mm -hmm. But because she was embarking on a career in academia... She wa- and wanted to be taken seriously. She was like, I can't be writing these stories about aliens <laughs> if I want people to, you know, to pay attention to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so she decided to use a pen name, James Tiptree Jr. Fun side note. She got the name Tiptree mm-hmm. from a jar of marmalade. Oh. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Jelly ting. Jelly ting. And much to her surprise... She sold several of Tiptree's stories. Hmm. Let's see. So I'm going to refer to Alice mm-hmm. as, as her pen name for a, a couple of little paragraphs okay. here. So James Tiptree Jr. published his first science fiction story, Birth of a Salesman, in March 1968 and immediately established himself as a unique and powerful voice in the genre. Some believed he was actually J.D. Salinger or Henry Kissinger, both yeah, big, big authors. And then there was a writer named Robert Silverberg who likened him to Hemingway. Oh. And he said, there's something ineluctably masculine about Tiptree's <laughs> writing. And he envisioned him as, quote, a man who had seen much of the world and understands it well. Jokes on you, it's a lady. (laughs) No dick. (laughs) So, Tip, Mm -hmm. as as he was called in correspondence with with friends, Mm -hmm. ferociously protected his identity and communicated with the world strictly via the mailbox. He corresponded with several other sci-fi writers with whom he shared stories of... You know, of his benzedrine addiction and many others. And I put benzedrine addiction 
which the CIA had supplied to him and his colleagues. For anybody who doesn't know what Benzedrine is, it's meth. It's early meth. Mm-hmm. It makes you real upper. It's a yeah. real upper. I'm going to say something about the CIA. Tell me. And what they might come after me. Okay. I have the CIA and the Yakuza on my back. Oh, boy. The CIA makes some very interesting choices that are never for the people. Yeah. And it's a big fucking question mark in my mind. Yes. <laughs> Agreed. What's with the meth? What's with the LSD in the water? Right? What's with everything? <laughs> like, maybe let's not do these things. Yeah. There's also, some real good conspiracy theories around it. Also, not conspiracy, but real. CIA. <laughs> <laughs> the CIA also has a, a hand in uh, giving money to Hollywood production oh, and shows. That's and right. Stuff. So it's always interesting to see what films that they fund mm-hmm. and like how, like, oh, what? Right. Jennifer Gardner and Ben Affleck have both been separately and together given money by the CIA. Jennifer Gardner's show, Alias. Yeah. Where she was, a, she literally was a spokesperson for the CIA. Mm-hmm. Garner. What did I? Garner. No D. <laughs> Jennifer Garner. Garner. No D. She was going to... And so that's why you have to question the movie Argo mm-hmm. and what's been, you know, all Propaganda. This. We got to question things. Yep. I'm not being a crazy conspiracy theorist. These are... I, this is fact. Fucking fact. <laughs> <laughs> you got to question shit and ask yourself, who's benefiting? Exactly. Knowledge that's right. is power. Question everything. You heard it. Danny. From the source. (laughs) Danny. It's the first person to ever say it. Yeah. You're welcome. Anyways. Anyway. Let's have an episode on the CIA. Oh, gosh. Whoa. Then we'll (laughs) really... started on Reagan. (laughs) Also, I put... Side note. The fuck? Um... Guys, I think my mannequin just moved. Holy shit. No, I'm just kidding. It was just a shopping bag in front of it. That's slightly unstable. It's the fucking CIA. <laughs> it is the C- Oh, shit. I knew I got that thing for such a good price for a reason. <laughs> There's meth in it. <laughs> it's bugged. My giant silver mannequin is bugged. <sighs> they knew we were going to get into this. Okay. So, I put, side note, Benny and the Jets, the mm-hmm. Elton John song, is refers Benny and the Jets is a band mm-hmm. and the song is about the band but also Benny's are like is the the drug you know the name mm-hmm. for Benzedrine mm-hmm. so I don't know if you ever listened to Benny and the Jets Benny and the Jets the the words to it like I read the lyrics and I was like what the fuck does this mean so it's about drugs it is it's a, yeah, vaguely veiled mm-hmm. by being like, oh, it's not about drugs, it's about band. But mm-hmm. I think we all know what was going on then. Where am I? So one of the most wonderful exchanges of letters conducted by Tiptree was with the famed writer Ursula K. Le Guin. Mm-hmm. And um, he called her Star Bear. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's cute. Because we're still going with my nickname, mm-hmm. KBZ. Because I'm a real thug. (laughs) Anyway, but five years of flirtatious, witty, amusing, and profound correspondence between 
Tiptree and the young author could not have prepared Le Guin for the letter that she received on November 24th, 1976. In it, it said, I never wrote you anything but the exact truth mm-hmm. other than the signature. The thing is, I am a 61-year-old woman named Alice Sheldon. Oh! So, oh, I just got goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> so, she, when Alice revealed herself, it was basically a coming out moment. Yeah. And so, with that, we're going to kind of delve back into Alice, a little bit more of Alice's personal life. Mm-hmm. So, Alice once wrote to a good friend, From the start, before I knew anything, it was always girls and women who lit me up. Mm. So, I, I, we can read into this however we want, but through journal entries and her writing, and the themes of her writing, and letters that she wrote to people, she was really dealing with um, her identity Mm-hmm. as a lesbian mm-hmm. and not being able to express that or or live her authentic life. But she also felt uneasy about the gender into which she had been born. Oh. Um, and she said, I do not, quote, fit my body. I never really have. So she wrote that having a woman's body was like, quote, being the owner of a large and only partly tamed animal. So she really just was like, this, this feels wrong. Mm -hmm. So again, she's dealing with her, like her sexual identity, Mm -hmm. but also gender identity. Yeah. On top of bipolar, bipolar depression, having dealt with significant trauma, mm-hmm. you know, not necessary, not trauma to her, to her physical self, but a lot of mental and emotional trauma, mm-hmm. uh, from the beginning. And the it's, meth. And the meth. It's, it's all adding up to bad times. Mm-hmm. She termed herself a hopeless xenophile, which, and if you don't know, it's an individual who's attracted to foreign people, manners, or cultures. And basically just felt like an alien herself. Mm-hmm. Which is why, like, reading, uh, you know, yeah. reading her stories and kind of analyzing the themes, mm-hmm. everything kind of makes sense when you know this. Alice was born into an unforgiving society and time. She worked in fields that were previously kept from women. Mm-hmm. Of her, t- of her time working in photo intelligence, she said, The lesson of my time is, if it is inhuman, cruel, or unthinkable, it'll happen. Mm-hmm. Bleak. Yeah. Real bleak. But her biology, being a woman, was her fate. She said, I've been called brilliant, beautiful, neurotic, suicidal, restless, amoral, anarchic, diffuse, weak, Strong and perverse. And that is the reason Alice assumed a male pen name. Okay. Um, obviously, the, like I said before, taking a, you know, a pen name, mm-hmm. she was like, oh, well, this only makes sense because I don't want people to think I'm crazy. Yeah. Because I'm trying to be in academics. Mm-hmm. But really, it all kind of boiled down to, 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 to all of this, all of mm-hmm. this kind of 
This is the root. This is her root. Were they trans? Did they? No. Okay. They were considered all of that stuff. Yeah. Because they were a female. Yes. But as a male, they were considered brilliant. Yeah. Basically. Solid. Yeah. Uh, It's not not great. It's Mm -hmm. some real bullshit. In an interview from the 1980s. Alice said, I've had too many experiences in my life of being the first woman in some damned occupation. Mm-hmm. Tiptree, this is a, another quote from her. Tiptree was, quote, magical manhood. His pen was my prick. I had through him all the power and prestige of masculinity. I was of those who own the world. I want power. I want to be listened to. And I'll never have it. Yeah. That's hard. Yeah. It's, it's real shitty. Yeah. It's the worst. So her friend Ursula, uh, Ursula Le Guin, responded with compassion to her coming out. Um, and, you know. Has Ursula Le Guin recently died? I think so. Okay. And she was um, in Portland, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Because actually, a lot of this, inf- a lot of the letters that they mm-hmm. have, is the or the University of Oregon has them. Okay. So, and I think that's why, uh, because they got a lot of it, a lot of this information and stuff from, I think, um, Ursula's like estate, estate and possessions yeah. and stuff. Yeah. So re- she responded to to her un- unveiling her her true identity with compassion and promised to keep her secret, but. Enthusiastic fans figured out and revealed the true identity of of Tiptree. So basically what had happened was in correspondence, Tiptree had mentioned that his mother was from Chicago Mm -hmm. and that she was a world explorer and a writer, etc. And then he later on mm-hmm. had mentioned that his mother had recently passed away. Mm-hmm. So super sleuths put two and two together, found a newspaper, you know, from the obituary yeah. about his mother and were like, Oh, it said that she's survived by a daughter mm-hmm. and not a son. Okay. So, you know, people were pissed. Why? <laughs> Well, let me tell you (laughs) Uh, when I go to the next page. So basically they were pissed off and they're offended because Alice had not only deceived them, but, mm -hmm, but had led them to make firm assertions based on her deceptive manhood. Mm hmm. Blech. Ugh. It's the worst. It just, it's so gross because like. Oh, you're pissed off because you were deceived by a woman, mm-hmm. but also because you made these grandiose claims about how genius this male writer was mm-hmm. to be like, I I would never have said those things about a woman. Yeah. Yeah. Also, writers, celebrities, pe- fig- public figures, they don't owe you shit. Nothing. Like, you're not entitled to any of that. Yeah. You're not entitled to their personal business. If they no. wanted to hide their identity, then they can do it. Yeah. Suck it. That's that's karate. what I have to say. You're asking for a karate chop in the throat from right Sienna. Right in the fucking neck. <laughs> <laughs> She's gonna do one of those Spock. What does he do? No. The, the <laughs> neck thing he does. Oh, the... 
I, the Vulcan listen, death grip or something. <laughs> I'm the biggest Star Trek fan. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! I thought you were coming out with something so much more profound than that. No, uh, she doesn't know. It's called the Spock don't, special don't. slap on the nerve. Mm, that's exactly. But it's a pinch. <laughs> I, I think I was closer when I said Vulcan death grip. I think that... I don't think it's a death grip, though. Because they don't die. Look, I'm we're, we're not talking about Spock right now. I'm getting back into this. Okay. They're pissed off. And then they claimed that her post-exposure writing was inferior to Tip Tree's work. She's like a big old... <laughs> <laughs> It's some real bullshit is all it is. Yeah. So, emasculated, impotent, powerless. These are all the things that Alice felt. She had lost her protective male persona. And because of that, slipped deeper into depression. Yeah. They're bad. The last few years of her life uh, were not very happy. Mm -hmm. Her husband, Ting who she'd been with for nearly 40 years, was almost blind. He was bedridden and was losing a battle with dementia. Oh. Which is the worst. That's the worst. It's it's so heartbreaking. Yeah. Alice was dealing with her own mental health issues and also, like many people, was, had developed a lot of issues from her lifelong smoking habit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the meth didn't help. And the meth didn't help. All of these things are just compounding. It's just yeah. adding to the shit stack. Okay. So, real quick. Trigger warning to any of our listeners. It gets it gets dark. Mm-hmm. Her her last her last days were not happy. Mm-hmm. So, if you need to skip ahead, go ahead and skip ahead at like, I don't know, maybe a minute or two. Mm-hmm. And uh take yeah. care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Mental health is is stigmatized and it shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. There are, there are people you can reach out to. Yep. Okay. That being said, on May nineteenth, nineteen eighty seven, she shot her husband in the head. So years earlier, Ting had forced her to sign a suicide pact, in the hope that it would prevent her from taking her own life. So her, um, his daughter mm-hmm. had died. He knew that. Alice was not doing well and mm-hmm. was like, I can't, I can't lose, I can't lose you too. Mm-hmm. So we need to make an agreement on this. Yeah. So she, she shot him and then she called her lawyer and called Ting's son, told Aww. them what she had done mm-hmm. and why. And then she killed herself with the same pistol. Aww. And the note she left behind was dated September 13th, 1979. Mm-hmm. It had been patiently waiting until the date was needed. Oh. Yeah. I cried when I was reading this the first time. Yeah. So, so we're back. This is a safe space that you can come back mm-hmm. if you had to skip ahead. So, Tip Tree's writing was merciless, alarming, and often painful. Mm-hmm. He, being Alice, just mm-hmm. Tip Tree, uh, wrote about apocalypses, violence, rape, and sex. Between men and women, women and aliens, and aliens and other aliens who ultimately ate each other. <laughs> that's, 
that's what his books are about. Human cruelty and violence were an important theme. And Alice knew that nobody would take her insights seriously if they knew her true identity. Uh As a woman, she could be a witness to pain, but she could not, quote, fire the gun. She could write from her sense of being an outside observer of the female condition with as much contempt for women as admiration. She had a real love-hate relationship with with her identity mm-hmm. and with the the gen- society mm-hmm. and and how you know how things are how how things are Alice believed that women were too good for the world basically and in Houston Houston do you read the only cure for women's oppression was to create a world without men mm-hmm. and that's why I said it was a really good story because it's <laughs> <laughs> I mean <laughs> In addition to other things, it's written really well, mm-hmm. and it is, it's like, oh, I get it. Was this written, do you know, before they were exposed? Yes. Okay. It was written, it was written as Tip Tree, mm-hmm. not, not, af- not afterwards as Alice. Yeah. Okay. Alice wrote stories that used, ma- that used male chauvinist stupidity. Uh-huh. To demonstrate what would happen if women really fell for this, like, stereotypical gender shit. Uh-huh. They'd have to flee to another planet or remake this one. Uh-huh. So that's that. Um, I got this from an article called His Pen, His Pen, My Prick, The Secret Life of Author Alice B. Sheldon by Noah Mannheim. I think Noah is a woman. It's N-O-A. Britannica.com, Wikipedia, and then... A book review of, so this book that I wasn't able to read, mm-hmm. but the book is called James Tiptree Jr., The Double Life of Alice B. Sheldon. Okay. And so, because I didn't get a chance to read the book, I read a book review mm-hmm. by Tanya Avankian. Okay. So, yeah. That's, I know, I brought it, brought it real That's down. Super in, that was super good. Thank super, you. Uh, marvelous, sensational, primo. Thank you. Cream corn. <laughs> I was trying to before you came over I was trying to find a post-it note so I could write creamed corn and just stick it to the bottom of yeah. the list but yeah she I think that was awesome thank you Jim and thank, thank you, you Jim yes what a good I was like I said when when he was like oh check out James Triptree <laughs> Jr I was like what the fuck are you talking about don't get in on my space I'm sorry no I was talking about oh. like, you saying that to Jim <laughs> That Kiana was you yelling at me the for putting my paper on top of She's my so paper. Far away. <laughs> oh, I oh. need breakfast and some caffeine. <sighs> Gross! I don't drink coffee. It makes me poop. <laughs> That's why I drink coffee. <laughs> That's why Danny drinks coffee. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we've made that it to was... the end. Real quick, I would like to, so, I, guys, this is real out of the, it's, it's past, it is past tense because we're recording in the few, in the past from when this comes out. Oh. Real quick. So, for the first time in history, U.S. mathematician Karen Uhlenbeck received the 2019 Abel Prize, mm-hmm. which is fucking 
awesome. Yeah. Because this is, the Abel Prize is basically the Nobel Prize Mm -hmm. for mathematics. And for the first time ever, a woman won. Yeah. And I just wanted to give a fucking, like, whoop, whoop, because that's incredible. Whoop, whoop. It should have happened a lot fucking sooner. (laughs) Yeah. Women in STEM programs. Yes. uh, Needs to be supported more. Sure do. And also, Greta Thunberg was nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. Mm-hmm. She's, I think she's the youngest? Yes. She's the if youngest she's... girl, the youngest person mm-hmm. to ever be nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah. I think she's a year or two younger than Malala. Malala That's was. right. Yeah. yeah. Because we So, women are changing the world mm-hmm. fucking every day. Oh, who is Greta? Greta <laughs> is, she's a young girl from Sweden who is fucking leading protest she's inspiring protests she's leading the way in inspiring protests for climate change yeah for actions against actions against climate change and we could not be more proud she's really really incredible girl who takes no shit from nobody yeah (laughs) and is like no we need change and we need it fucking now Mm -hmm. so that's just, yeah, I just wanted to, like, yeah. m- mention that. I'm sure you've probably read about it already, because by the time this comes out, it's old news. <laughs> yeah. But um, it's still important to mention. It's so important. And it's super exciting. Yeah. So, that's it. Yeah. We've come to the end. We have. I'll do the social medias. You can, and you should, and we want you to, <laughs> follow us on all of our social medias. On Facebook, sorry, I did it. Um, on Facebook and Instagram, we are at that broad's got moxie, and on our Twitter, that Kiana so lovingly takes care of because I don't know how to Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> we are at broad's got moxie, not that, not just at, at broad's got, got moxie. moxie. Please, please, please rate, review, and subscribe. Mm-hmm. So Got to get those reviews. Listening. Mm-hmm. And um, if you have anything you want to say to us, any suggestions, recommendations, corrections, uh, anecdotes, anecdotes, teaching <laughs> points, if you want to tell us about Moxie Ladies in your lives, please email us at thatbroadscottmoxie at gmail.com. That's right. Oh, also, real quick, when we finally get back from getting married. Not me <laughs> and, and Cassie. Not me Danny. and Cassie. <laughs> When we get back, we're really going to kind of jump on Patreon Mm -hmm. and get going on that. So keep your eyes peeled for that. We'll update Um, you. Yeah, we'll have lots of updates and get everybody in the know, um, hopefully uh, within the next couple episodes. Yes, that's it. We've got lots of fun stuff coming up, guys. Yeah, we're going to. Get try to get to get our stuff together. Yeah, it's been it's been a little difficult yeah. <laughs> up until well today, and now we're saying <laughs> the words, and now we're moving, we're moving on, and Danny and I will be married. Yeah, officially. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. <laughs> Danny doesn't seem impressed. Look. Oh. oh. <laughs> I, I yelled too loud, guys. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, thank you for listening. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.